Hey moms, welcome to the Gather Moms podcast. My name is Kate. And I'm Rebecca. We've created this space just for you because we're both moms and we get you. Yes, we believe there truly ain't no hood like the motherhood and we need to be in this together. We also believe we can't mom well without Jesus. So you're going to hear us talk about him too. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gather Moms and make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. All right, mamas, let's jump in. Mamas. Hey, welcome to episode 84 of the Gather Moms podcast. We have a special guest today, Sharon Miller. Sharon Hottie Miller has her PhD and is a teaching pastor at Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, which she founded, co-founded with her husband, Ike. They are the parents of three children, and she is an author, a writer, a blogger, a speaker, a preacher, a mom. I Honestly, mean, she's she's great. She's incredible. She's a boss, babe. And not only that, but she just drips wisdom on a topic that I feel like is going to be so helpful to us as we talk about her new book, The Cost of Control. So let's jump into our conversation with Sharon. Welcome to the show, Sharon. It's great to be with you guys. So we got to meet when you came to Lake Point for our women's mm-hmm. night. Um, and you yeah. and I had a second to connect um, in the green room. But I'd actually heard about you before because we have done a series with Right Now Media. And so we see all their stuff pop up. Um, and so that was really my first time to kind of to learn about you. And I was like, where has this girl been hiding? She's got some good things to say. Thank you. That means a lot. Then you have this book out that is called The Cost of Control. And um, as a recovering control freak, I immediately identified with it. You actually say in the book, and we'll get out to all this in a minute, but that you didn't really know that you were controlling, you know, until the pandemic kind of revealed it to you. I have always known I'm controlling. (laughs) I just told Kate, I think I need to go to a counselor to see if I struggle with control because I would say I don't, but maybe I do. And I just, I don't know it. Yeah. I mean, I think it, part of the the journey for me was realizing that it just manifests in different ways for different people. So I don't struggle with feeling out of control and I don't struggle with a lot of anxiety related to wishing I could control different situations. The ways that I struggle with control more have to do with you how I use my words. Like I'm very verbally strong. Uh-huh. And so I always just kind of thought I'm a really good debater. Like I'm I'm just very convincing to people. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but not realizing that their experience of me was probably feeling pushed in a way that I did not even realize was happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I've never thought about that before. Yeah. That's true. And mine isn't as necessarily as much verbally as just order. You know, I like to have Mm -hmm. things in a very prescribed order and I set my life in order. Um, and because I want everything to go a certain way. And so I don't really get anxious about, the future or trying to control the future or outcomes quite as much as just the day-to-day operations of how my house runs and things like that, which is interesting. I have no order in my house. <laughs> I'm a free So spirit. Rebecca's response, though, <laughs> is to be more like if, if she feels like it's out of control, she's like, all right, I'm out, you know? Yeah, I think I disengage. Like if I yeah. can't manage the situation, then I'm just like, okay, whatevs. I'm out. I'm going to go take a nap or just let it descend into chaos. Yes. <laughs> and then when it gets into the midst of chaos, I jump back in. I'm like, all right, let's fix this. What can we do? Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm more like Kate. Like that's another way that it manifests for me is I keep our house really, really clean. 
And that is not bad in and of itself. Like, like one thing you've, you've read the book, I talk about how God doesn't give us control, but he does give us agency. It's this difference Mm -hmm. between control and influence. And one form of agency we see in Genesis one, and then again, in two is naming and ordering. And that's a really powerful response to chaos is systems and processes. And so if anyone's listening and thinking, oh, I like I like to order my home. I like to have systems and processes. Is that a control issue? Not necessarily. For me, I know it's a control issue when my kids mess it up. Right. And then I lose my ever loving mind. Right. And so I spent recently, I spent like an hour or two one morning cleaning my son's closet and just putting everything, you know, in its place. And then later that day, it took him less than an hour to completely (laughs) undo it. And I lost my cool. I mean, I really, I was so upset about it. And, you know, my husband, he's very different from me this way. He does not even, he's maybe more like Rebecca. The mess does not even register. It, It does not, it is not on his plane of existence. He does not see it at all. And so when I'm getting really upset, his response is just shut the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Out of sight, out of mind, you yes. know? But that, to me, that's an indicator. Okay, this was not about just being a good steward of my home. This was about control. Yeah. And there was a degree to which my own sense of peace and stability was tied to the cleanliness of my home more so than Christ. Yeah. And that came out in my response to that situation. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I resonate with that 100%. Happens all the time. It drives me nuts. You know, and I think growing up, my mom was really specific about our house and our room. And I think that's why I'm the opposite in my oh, house. Oh, okay. Because I will just shut the door and be like, that's your domain. Go live your best life. And and not think about that. Maybe as a, maybe as a response to, okay, I want to be the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit more about your home, Sharon. Tell us what it looks like for you as a mama, um, as a wife, as a pastor. Let us give us a little insight into what your life looks like. Just my everyday life. Yeah. So my husband and I lead our church plant together, which we launched four years ago. And so the majority of the life of our church has been in the pandemic, which I don't recommend. That's a zero stars. Thumbs down (laughs) on that. But uh, it's actually gone really well, all things considered. God has really sustained our church in just beautiful, generous ways. But I lead with him. And then we have three kids. So my oldest is 10. My middle is seven. And then we have a little girl who is four. And she is still in preschool. And this is her last year of preschool. And so our days are still chopped in half a little bit because she gets out of school at noon. And so I'm sort of, you know, I can see on the horizon her going into kindergarten and then me having like almost a full work day because right now she comes home and the afternoon is is me or my husband kind of hanging out with her. But I actually really enjoy this season of our kids' ages because they're at that age where we're finally out of the toddler infancy phase where they're very independent. And even my daughter, I can send her outside to play and I don't feel like I need to be watching her the whole time. They can right. feed themselves, dress themselves, entertain themselves. But they're 
not they're they're still young enough where they think that we are cool and funny and they want to hang out with us and they think we're awesome. And so it it feels like we're very much in this sweet spot. So a lot of my free time honestly is just hanging out with my family if if I have any extra margin. That's really what I want to be doing. But I'm working part time at the church just because that's all that I really have time to do. So I share primarily the preaching responsibilities with my husband. And then I also write books and I travel and I speak. And again, that is speaking is it's it is part of my job, but it's a really wonderful for this stage in my kid's life, it's wonderful because I can be gone for like 24 hours and, you know, come back and then I'm there for the rest of the week. It's not like an everyday kind of a job. And so that has worked out really well for our family as well. I love that you're a preacher. I just... Like, as I was, like, learning about all this, I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. That sounds, but then I thought, no, wait a minute. That's a lot of prep and work. Listen, that's a <laughs> lot of, I really don't know. Even with our pastor, you know, I just am like, it is so much to put a sermon together week after week after week, you know, and really want to do it well and handle the text well. And so I admire, you know, that God has given you that gift and you're able to do that. For sure. I really enjoy it. I had not preached at a church on a Sunday morning on my own until we launched our church. Every every time I'd preached on a Sunday morning up until we launched our church, I was just co-teaching with my husband just because you know, we're in the south, you know, that's it's just not there are not as many churches that are even open to that. Yeah. But part of the reason I do preach at our church is because of my husband. He really believes in my preaching gifts and said, this is really, we live in a highly educated area. It's actually one of the most educated areas in the country because we have Duke and UNC and State and um, Research Triangle Park. And so women here are leading in every sector. They are professors, they are doctors, they're CEOs. And so he really said, it's important for you to be stewarding your leadership gifts so that you're teaching other women to do so as well. And I'm so grateful because I love teaching our church. I really, I love it more than, you know, as much as I love getting to go to like Lake Point and see, you know, what God is doing there. There's something about knowing your people Mm -hmm. and like what's Mm -hmm. going on in their lives and then shepherding them through different seasons that I just really, really love. So it's been it's been wonderful. Like it doesn't feel stressful at all. That's really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So uh, talking about things that you love, what do you love about being a mom? Like the, the parts of just being a mom that just light you up and just fill your bucket so much. That's a great question. I love how funny my kids are. I have to tell you all the funniest thing. You might've seen this. I posted on Instagram yesterday cause I about died I was sitting in the living room getting the kids ready for church yesterday. My middle son, my seven-year-old, was in the kitchen talking to my dad. And I was in the room over. And I hear him say to my dad, love is easy. Caring is hard. And I hear this and I think, Yes. So deep. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. You have like a gift. Yeah. You're like a philosopher, a theologian. You know, that is exactly right. Yeah. How did you, how did you get this at such a young age? <laughs> and I say, what did you say? And then I look over at him and I realize he's talking about his Chick-fil-A word search. <laughs> 
It's in the word search. He he found love really easily. Uh-huh. But he was having trouble finding the word caring. Yeah. <laughs> like he's trying to find the words in the word yeah. search. Yeah. That's why oh, caring is hard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is hilarious. No, but you're like, thanks, little man, because that'll hey, preach. That's a sermon. Yeah. You better like write that <laughs> yeah. down for like yeah. next week. That's good. Well, that is the same child. This is like, this is a TMI mom story, but. This is moms, and so I'm going to yes. also share this just yes. so y'all know. Like, I'm one of you. This is the same child who the week prior, we'd had a stomach virus going through our house, and his brother had thrown up in the sink, and I would not had a chance to completely clean it. But later, I told my middle, my seven-year-old, to go brush his teeth, and when I went in there, I found him using his toothbrush to clean the sink. And then oh, he picked gosh. it up, and he was about to put it in his mouth, and I was like, stop, like yelled at him. And I was like, buddy, like Isaac threw up in there. And he, and he goes, well, I didn't know that. And I said, it doesn't matter. Like your, your brother and sister spit into that sink. Don't use your toothbrush to clean anything but your teeth. And then I looked at him. I said, have you done this before? And he goes, no. And then he goes, well, once. Yeah. <laughs> Me and- Many, Many times. times. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sharon, I will never forget. This is TMI too, but my husband, we had our first baby and the baby was, you know, Caleb was like one or something and he's taking a bath. And for some reason that child, whenever he would get in the warm bath, he would poop in the bath. But the very, it was just horrifying. And you're always like, if you're the one giving him a bath, you're like, please, God, don't let it be this time, you know? Yeah. Then, <laughs> so anyway, but it was the very first time he had ever done it. So he starts, he poops in the bath and Jeremy's in there giving him a bath. So Jeremy starts losing his mind. Kate, Kate, get in here. I'm like, well, okay. You know, so anyway, so we start trying to clean it up. You're, you know, you're using like the bucket you use to rinse their head, like scoop stuff out and put it in the toilet. Okay. So anyway, so I get Caleb out and I get him all cleaned up and Jeremy's in there and then cleaning the bathtub and I go in there to check on him. This man is using the toilet brush to clean the bathtub. And I lose my mind. I connect with him on that. He's like, (laughs) I mean, the brush was right here. It's right there. He basically made a toilet out of our bathtub, you know, and I'm like, no. The bathtub already had the poop in it. It's not like you're adding to it. You're just moving it around a little bit. So then I have to like triple down on the level of cleaning now that has to go into this bathtub, you know. I feel like this is giving y'all a hint into my home. Maybe you should not take baths in my home. We're not really sure. (laughs) (laughs) It may not be clean to your standards. Oh, man. Gosh. Okay. So those are the things you love. And we love that, too. It's so, I think that's one of the fun things about having kids is just, gosh, they're just so fun. And you never know what they're going to say and do. And the unpredictability, speaking of control, can actually be just such a fun blessing. Um, because the parts that we can't control are really those amazing parts about them. Mm-hmm. If you had a sister wife and you could mm-hmm. farm out some mom duties to her, mm-hmm. what I would love be the way you called it a sister wife? <laughs> Just in case gather moms are listening, we don't believe in that. <laughs> <laughs> Just say How because about a friend. Okay, okay. That lived Five at Rebecca. your house. It doesn't <laughs> you and your mother. I'm days. not endorsing polygamy. I'm just saying okay. if you had a helper and you could farm out some part of mom duties that you're like, this really drains me. What would that be for you? First of all, I think the quote "I am not endorsing polygamy" should be in the like description <laughs> of this podcast. 
<laughs> I mean, it's a good one. Listen, we are very theologically sound yes. around here, just in yes. case you were wondering. Yes. Um, it would be cooking. I really, really, I'm not a good cook. I don't like to cook. I feel like I don't have time to cook. And I wish, and I grew up in a home that way where my mom cooked up, cooked because we had to eat. And that was basically it. And so I was not taught how, you know, to enjoy it, how to make it into an art. And so I really am not great at it and I don't enjoy it. And so I wish there was someone that I could pay to cook for my family. Does Ike like to cook? Unfortunately, no. Okay. He, it, he likes to grill. Okay. But it's weird. His mom is an excellent cook. And so when we got married, I, I just said, I concede. I will never <laughs> be in the same stratosphere as your mom. She's She is really good. But yeah, my, my husband never learned much from her but he does still prefer even the things this is this is the thing that that kind of chafes me a little bit is there's very few things that I feel like I'm really good at I make a good chicken salad I make a good pumpkin pie okay he still prefers his mom's and so that's that oh. I know <laughs> listen Ike I'm gonna need you to just jump in on those lie two. yes you got ma'am to lie yes, yes right. ma'am <laughs> You got to have a couple things you can stand on, you know, that like, these are my go-to dishes. I think we all feel that way. Like, like where you're like, this is where I own, like if I'm showing up to a potluck, this is what I'm bringing. You don't have a go-to. So my husband makes fun of me because when I go to potlucks, I make new things. It's like my chance to try something new. And he's like, no, you don't try new things on new people. You try <laughs> new you're things. You are living on the edge. Yes, Rebecca's wild. Rebecca is wild. We just did a whole episode about Enneagram with an Enneagram expert, Christina. We love her so much. But because I, Rebecca has so many seven tendencies. She's not. She's probably more but of a two. But you're seven. I heard that I on am. one of your podcasts. You're seven. Okay. Yes. But do you have like maybe an eight wing or something? I do. Okay. I do. It's a very prominent okay. wing. <laughs> <laughs> just because in the way you talk in the book, just about, you know, you, just your wanting to communicate and wanting everybody to understand your side of things and kind of that debater piece, mm-hmm. justice, yes. you know, you hear a lot of that in there. Yeah, I'm all of the numbers. I've got some of everything. Listen, I do. She's a wild card. I'm I don't like being you. in a box, Sharon. What did the experts say about you? Uh, we think it's I'm just... a two. We think. We think. Kate thinks I'm a seven. I don't think I'm a seven. Rebecca, honestly, is a wild card. Rebecca, being friends with Rebecca is like living with the Holy Spirit. You just never know. You know, you just never know from day to day. The the wind blows where it will. (laughs) I mean, and it's very exciting. And especially, I mean, you get this as someone who likes a lot of order and everything. You know, it's Uh honestly really a blessing to have her as like my my cohort, my partner, Uh because it helps me like not take things so seriously to be much more go with the flow, you know. Yeah. So it's a good it's a good help. That's why I just throw in a different number whenever I feel like it. I want to be a four today. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be a four. I don't know. Okay. Let's talk okay, about the book. Before we deep dive the Enneagram, <laughs> let's talk about the cost of control. Okay. Let me tell you something. So I was drawn to this book, obviously, because of the title. But let me tell you something. And I'm not just saying this because you're our podcast guest. I really think, Sharon, that you have a gift um, for writing in a very understandable way with wisdom. And I also want to say that I really appreciate your authenticity and transparency. Because I think people talk about like 
people will say, oh, I yell at my kids, okay? And it's just kind of this broad idea of, you know, oh, we're all sinners. But you get real specific on telling on yourself. And you tell stories in here all throughout of like, this is what I did. And I just so appreciate that you are willing to just lay it all bare and say, these are the things I said. These these are the things I did because it helps set us all free when you do that. Is that was that ever hard for you? Is that has that always been part of just who you are as you just lay it out there? I think that is a big part of who I am. I am not an Enneagram three, and so that that is one thing that is not hard for me is just sharing openly about my struggles. I'm a very very transparent person. In fact, it's hard for me to hide what I'm really feeling, Okay, <laughs> which sometimes is good and sometimes is, is bad when I need to be a little more discreet. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I realize that if this is something I do, it means there's, it, this is something that other people do. Yeah. And by naming it, that is going to shed light on something that other people are experiencing as well. Yeah. So let's let's jump back a little bit and talk about why you wanted to write this book. You know, you talked about launching your church right before the pandemic hit, you know, and then we're in the pandemic. A lot of that was the impetus for this writing, right? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So when the pandemic first hit, I was paying attention to how everyone in our church was responding. I was paying attention to how Christians online were responding. And I was seeing this deep intolerance for uncertainty, that that Christians were not responding to the pandemic by drawing on the millennia of spiritual resources available to us, the spiritual discipline, scripture, Jesus, you know, to, you know, sustain us through this difficult time. I, I was seeing everyone take a lot of their fears, a lot of their control issues to the internet instead of to God. Yes. So I, I saw this and, and realized this is a major discipleship issue happening here that I was really curious about. But I am also someone who my best teaching comes from conviction about my own sin. I, I don't like to stand over the world or over the culture and sort of poke holes or wag my finger. I just find that that sort of teaching is not actually that edifying for myself or for anyone else. And so I wanted to turn the focus on myself and just ask, is this something I also wrestle with? And turns out, spoiler alert, I do. But I, as we talked about at the beginning, I didn't realize I struggled with it to the extent that I did. And part of the reason why is when I think especially of a controlling parent or a controlling leader, I had something very specific in mind and I did not look like that. Right. And so like, I'm not a helicopter parent, you know, I let my kids, you know, take risks and things. And so I didn't see myself. I, I don't feel constantly anxious over, like, I know I have friends who, when their kids started kindergarten, it was one of the most terrifying experiences of their lives, you yep. know, just yeah, the yeah. overwhelm of like sending your kid out into the world. And and I did not experience that at all. I felt no anxiety about my kids starting kindergarten. And so I thought I'm good. I'm not, I'm not a controlling parent. I'm not a controlling pastor, but through this journey realizing, Oh, actually control is just a human struggle. It was written into creation in Genesis three 
I do struggle with control because I'm a human. It just manifests in a way that I, I never thought of before. And that was really helpful for me personally. Well, and one of the things you talk about is the difference between agency and control. So help me understand, because I think I've got a grasp on what you mean by agency, but what do you mean by those two different things? Yeah, so the the book is really a long meditation on Genesis 3, this moment where Adam and Eve, they were living in the garden. They had everything essential to thrive. They had freedom. They had power, authority, purpose, unity, community, all of that. The only thing they didn't have was control. They were not in charge of the garden. And so in Genesis 3, we see them defy that one boundary to get more power, to get more control than God had granted them. And every time we reach for control, we are reenacting that moment. That said, prior to that moment, Adam and Eve in the garden, they're not robots, they're not puppets, they're not prisoners, they're not in control, but they have tremendous influence. And so the, the question in my mind is, how do we put down the power that God has not given us to pick up the power that he has? Because we, we typically say, just let go and let God, you know, we just need to surrender. And some of that is true, but it's not that God just says, roll over, play dead and let me handle it. He invites us into his influence and his mission in the world. And so what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, I call that agency. And that's a psychological term that simply means the power to influence yourself and your circumstances. And the operative word there being influence, not control. And we see a number of different forms of agency in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we've already mentioned one of them, which is naming and ordering. And all of these are bigger picture. Like a lot of times when when people are in a situation they want to control, they say, what should I do instead? And what they're really asking is, how can I still get the outcome that I want without controlling it? And that's still like a control question at the end of the day. Yeah. (laughs) Because the fact of the matter is you can do everything right. And because we live in a broken world, that terrible outcome is still going to happen. Yeah. But we still have tremendous power in this world. And when we exercise the power that God has given us, it, it does empower us. And so with naming and ordering, a good example of of in real time how this played out is during the pandemic when we were all at home on lockdown, we were thrown into homeschooling our children. I am not gifted at teaching children. I think that is an actual spiritual gift. It is one that I do not possess. And so that was really stressful. And then on top of it, we are trying to lead our church when we can't, you know, get away from our kids. And so that, that I did feel in that moment out of control. I felt trapped. Our house was loud all the time. Uh-huh. I'm probably messy to feel, too. Yes. I started to feel really angry because I couldn't get them, my kids, to submit to me, you know? And so what I started doing was if they're going to be loud, I'm going to be louder. I'm going to, you know, domineer them essentially with the volume of my voice. And this did not work. It just made our house louder. But it also meant I was sinning against them more often. Like I was having to apologize because what I was really doing was sort of venting my anger on them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
what we ultimately did, because we were just stuck in this cycle and realizing this isn't working, is we did some research. We, you know, called friends who'd been parents longer and realized that one thing our kids were lacking in those early days was actually a schedule. Yep. Yeah. We were just sort of flying by the seat of our pants, but giving our kids a schedule, it didn't solve everything, but it helped a lot. It yep. ordered our day in a way that helped them to know like what was going on, what to expect. And that that simple change of, of ordering, you know, naming and ordering, naming the problem accurately, ordering our home, it helped without breaking my relationship with them in the process. And so that's one example of putting down control and picking up agency instead. Such a good example. So, and I think there's such nuance there. I would love for us to get just a little bit more granular with our moms of like, how can they know, what are some signs that they're, they're trying to control the outcome in their home, the outcome in their situation? Like what are some things that spring up in someone when they are trying to control? Well, I mentioned one already is paying attention to what happens when it doesn't work. You know, when when you're trying to impose order on your home and there's a fly in the ointment in some way where there's a mess or your kids make a mistake, like is is the way that you're reacting to that about control instead of, you know, what is actually going on. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a really big one. And then I would say this is such a complicated, a complicated question for parents because we are given tremendous influence over our children, but we are not ultimately given control over our children. That's right. And that is that is so important to understand that the difference there. Another way to narrate it is it's the difference between influence and an outcome Mm -hmm. that you are called to influence your children. You're called to teach them, to guide them, to discipline them. But at the end of the day, you cannot make them follow Jesus. Right. And if you try, and, and this goes back to the title of the book, The Cost of Control, because whenever we we reach for control, we are reenacting that moment in Genesis 3, but we're also reenacting its consequences. And, and this is not a sometimes or maybe, it is, it is an always, unfortunately. And so when you try to control people in your life, people are not designed to be controlled. You will break your relationship with them. And the thing that is so sobering for parents is that we probably won't see the consequences of that for 10, 15 years. Terrifying to me. Honestly, that's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it it is, you know, so much of this takes wisdom. I think a lot of, of Paul's words where he, he talks about how I planted the seed and Apollos water, but it was God who gave the growth. And there's there's a balance there of, of being involved and, and being engaged and doing your part, but but trusting God to give the growth. And that that means even at a young age, I think that this could be probably a point where we could might see things a little bit differently. But for me, I think this also means, you know, you can't control even your small children to some extent. You know, your your kids have different personalities. I have I have one child who has really struggled with 
emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. And when he was younger, he would throw tantrums. And his preschool teacher said a tantrum is like a train going through a tunnel. Once it gets into the tunnel, you can't stop the train. You have to wait until it just comes out on the other side of the tunnel. And that was so helpful to me because up until that moment when he would start to throw a tantrum, I would try and and do everything to make him stop. Like, you will stop doing this right now. And it never worked. It it actually escalated it further. Mm -hmm. And it's because I was trying to control him and God had not given me that kind of power over him. And so that doesn't mean I'm not saying anything goes like, just let your child be like, I am not saying that at all, but it, it takes a lot of wisdom and discernment to, to strike that balance. Well, so one of the things that you talk about that I think is so good as we kind of continue on this topic is about how you talked about how our children are safer than ever right? We're, mm-hmm. we're living in the safest generation. And so we have these moms, I think we all know the term hovercraft moms, but we also see steamroller moms who are the moms that go ahead of the kids to kind of pave the way. So to, oh, to go in and make sure that the teachers like their kids, to make sure that they're friends with the right people, to make sure that they have the clothes, you know what I mean? Like they're going ahead of them to make sure they're looking toward college, career, wife, right? So, or husband. So they're setting all those things up in place to make sure that that path is smooth as they go toward them. Um, so we see, you know, both of those things in play. And, and so like you talked about, you know, we're, we're safer than ever. There's less homicides, kidnapping, all these great things. But the unfortunate other side of that coin is that we are also seeing that our children are less emotionally safe. Right. And tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I thought that was... You were actually the first person who's asking about that, which is really surprising to me because that was, I think about that all the time. There's been research that shows this is the most anxious generation ever, but it's also the safest generation ever. And the Jean uh, Twingy, I think is her name, is the one who wrote this book. I think it's called iGen. And she, she said it's almost like there's been this trade-off where in exchange for our kids being more emotion, more physically safe, they're less emotionally safe. And that is such a fascinating cost of controlling our kids' childhoods is that we are not letting them develop the skills to live in the actual world. Right. And again, that this, this, requires so much nuance and so much discernment on, on what does that mean exactly? But knowing that constantly shielding our children from being disappointed or experiencing failure or experiencing hardship is not doing them any favors Mm -hmm. sooner or later, they will have to live in the world. And so are we let letting out the leash, letting out the line enough for them to actually develop those skills so that when they get into reality, it's not just absolutely shocking to their system, which seems to be, you know, because when I grew up, I was allowed to wander all over my neighborhood. Yeah. I would be gone for hours and my parents would not know where I was. Yeah. And that is you could get like arrested for that. Yeah. 
Seriously. Yep, that's true. Yep. <laughs> I seriously, yeah, I wonder if you could. Can you imagine? Like, think about that. Like, if we just, like, let our kids, you know, and I'm like, well, sure, I'm fine with that. But then I know that, like, Lydia has an Apple Watch on, so I could track her. Like, I know where she's going to be. Yeah. Even if she's out. Yeah. We just, I think we feel really strongly about this, Sharon, because we are huge fans of Sissy Goff. Mm -hmm. Um, And she has done so much work in this area talking about anxious kids and helping our kids be brave and strong. And it's this idea of resilience and grit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if we are going through and fixing everything for them, what we're communicating to them is, no, I don't think you can do this either. Right? Yeah. So we're telling them, no, I don't think you're strong enough. And then it's exactly what you're saying. Those muscles atrophy. And then they Mm -hmm. get thrown into the world where things are actually really big and scary and a lot. And they don't have any way to cope. Yeah, because we tell our kids, you know, when you get grow up and get a job, it's not going to be this easy. And that does not form them at all. That yeah. is meaningless information. What will teach them that is them actually experiencing it. Yeah. Well, and part of that, I think, too, because I have a teenager, I have a 16-year-old, is me allowing him to take on more than he can handle so that he mm-hmm. can figure out it's more than he can handle. Because yes. I know a lot of, you know, friends of mine, you know, they're like, no, my kid can't have a job because he's got schoolwork and he's got to make that a priority or my kid can't do this. And in my mind, I'm like, well, personally for us, he has to because we need the financial help. You got to go get a job so we can pay for your car. But honestly, it's taught him so much about how to manage trying to do all these different things and figuring out what takes priority in that moment and then how to apologize when he messes up and he doesn't meet the standard and he's got to go back to the boss or whatever and say, you know, I was late to work or I didn't turn an assignment, like take ownership over those things. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, I, I think it's such a great conversation for us to have. And I, I love what you talked about naming it, because I think even us just putting this word out and just saying, where am I trying to exert control that is not mine? And just really having that on our radar as we mom, you know, so that we are surrendering these children back to the Lord and we are only exerting agency where God has called us to and not stepping outside of those bounds. You know, I don't want to have a broken relationship with my children 10 years from now. And that's enough of a motivator for me to like pull off a little bit and pray instead of intervene first. Um, because I, I want to have a long lasting relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And, and prayer being the man, this keeps me on my knees. It really does. It's yeah. so humbling. Yeah. No, that's one of the things I, I saw in your book that you were talking about. You know, we forget that that's the first thing we go to is prayer. And mm-hmm. it feels like that's the first thing we forget when it comes to anything in life is to pray mm-hmm. first. Um, and one of the things that I thought was interesting was you talked about, you know, that instance with your husband where, um, y'all were talking about what was going on at the church and you were venting all of your feelings and frustrations on him because that's how you process. And he said back to you, well, I need you to stop doing that because yeah. it's making me more anxious. I do that all the time with my spouse because it makes me feel better. It makes me feel mm-hmm. better to have that safe place, yeah. but God is my safe place. And so that's right. really where I should be venting my frustrations, but God is not, you know, physically present in the room with me. So I'm looking for somebody else that I can look into their eyes and then basically what I want is for them to say, you're so right. Uh You should totally feel that way. Uh But really it's not what God wants me to do. Yeah. Prayer is another form of agency that I get into. And it is important to know that the main reason it's a form of agency is not so that this is a backdoor way of you controlling the people in your life. This is actually about 
you (laughs) and influencing yourself so that in your urge to control, you don't spiral into this control anxiety cycle or you don't control people around you and break your relationship with them. And that that's the big failure, unfortunately, of, of Adam and Eve is they had this form of agency where they could go to God about anything. And when the serpent said to them these lies, they could have easily gone to God and said, is this true? Wow. Yeah. But instead they decided to handle the situation themselves. And that, that is the heart of control is instead of going to God about what you're afraid of is you decide to handle it yourself. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of which, listen, Sharon, I had never seen this before. That whole, where you backed up, where you went through the shame and blame in the garden Mm. and then how the flip, the script is flipped on that, um, through the cross. Yep. And yeah. the, the garden and the tomb. I mean, listen, I I had to stop down on that and read that so many times. I've never seen that in scripture. And I was like, yes. I mean, redemption always gets me excited, <laughs> right? You know, when you see Jesus, like, undo this bad that has been done, you know, it's just, it's just so beautiful. So it would probably take us 20 minutes to dissect that whole thing. So mom's listening. You just have to go by the book. You have to make it to the part where she talks about the shame and blame. Because it's so beautiful. It's something I'd never seen. And um, I shared it on my stories. And I had all these women. I didn't think they'd be able to see it because it was just a story, you know. And I was like, they're not going to be able to read this in the time. But so many who were like, whoa, I have never seen that before. Um, So I just think that's so fun. I love that. Scripture has this incredible symmetry to it where the New Testament and the Old Testament are constantly reaching back towards one another and touching in different ways. And it never ceases to amaze me at at people. That's, that's why I love teaching the Bible is, is people don't even understand (laughs) because they kind of stay at this Mm -hmm. sort of surface level Mm -hmm. without digging down. But the deeper you go, the greater treasures you find. And that was definitely one of them. Agree. Agree. The greatest joys of my life, those invigorating moments when, you know, mm-hmm. God unearths something in scripture and you go, oh, what? Yeah, but you have such mm-hmm. a gift, Sharon, to explain it. Because I feel like sometimes when I try and do that, I mess it up. I'm like, I think I confuse people way more than I help <laughs> them understand how these two things connect. So Yeah, no, it is. You do a really good job of keeping it clear. Thank you. So we want all the moms to be able to get your book. I really, like, I know you wrote this for everybody, but truly, like moms, this is game-changing information for moms, um, especially the age we live in. Like, I just met with a precious new mama, and she's like, you know, how, how long am I supposed to try and keep nursing this baby. This is not working. And when is she supposed to start sleeping through the night? And you know what I mean? Like we're all just trying to control these outcomes and figure it out. Um, we keep asking those questions all through their lives. So we want to be able to live in a peaceful way with God where he's in control. We are his agents here on earth for whatever task he's given us to. It's just this huge paradigm shift. So we want to be able to get the book. How do they get the book, Sharon? They can find it anywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any any of those traditional spots. Okay, good. And we're going to drop that in the show notes. And then we want them to be able to connect with you. You put out great stuff on your socials. Where is the best place to find you? Instagram is probably where I'm most active. So just Sharon H. Miller. Okay. And is Hottie your middle name, last name? 
It's yeah, it's my maiden name. I don't use it. I kind of have like a love hate relationship with it. I use it because Sharon Miller is such a generic name. And so it makes it easier to find me online. I don't use it like at my church. I don't even think people at our church know I use my middle name for any or would know how to pronounce it, honestly. But yeah, my maiden, it's my maiden name. It's German. (laughs) Yeah. I love no it. No one knows how to pronounce it. Listen, I went to no. school with a Monica Hottie. So I'm like tempted to reach out to her on Insta and be like, are you related to this girl? Maybe you are. Well, and- actually, there are there are a lot of hotties in Texas. Well, <laughs> By the maybe way. we have mutual friends. <laughs> well, be, for people who are listening to this, you know, it's spelled <laughs> H-O- H-O-D-D-E. But I love it because it sounds like you're saying hottie. hottie. Yeah, Sharon there Hottie. are a lot of hotties in Texas. And there are also a lot of like my distant family. Yeah. Like we all, all the German hotties, H-O-D-D-E, um, come from one region in Germany. And so we all would be traced back to the same little. Oh, region. Ancestry.com. Here we go. I love Let's it. get on it and see. But I love being able to say your name like H-O-T-T-I-E. You know, I'm Sharon Hottie Miller. <laughs> That was when I was in college. That was the big joke. Like, has anyone ever told you you're a hottie? And then when uh, my husband and I got, we're getting married, he joked that he wanted to take my last name for yes. himself. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for being with us. I know this was a game changing conversation for so many moms, and I cannot wait for them to read the book and connect with you more. Thank you. Thank you it's been so really much. Fun. Do you know a mom who needs support and encouragement? Send her the link to the Gather Moms podcast today and connect her to this community. You can also help other moms find this podcast by leaving a rating and review. 